The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here's Brandon. Welcome back to the Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my co-captain, Jim. Hello, in space, no one can hear you creak. (laughs) This is a bit of Old Space Show. Continues our episode-by-episode travelogue through the second season of Space 1999, where the moon is knocked out of orbit, wandering through outer space, the population of its human-built colony hoping to stumble upon a new home. Today, we are talking about the 16th episode, A Matter of Balance. While exploring an apparently lifeless planet, a member of Alpha's crew comes under the influence of an anti-matter being, and suddenly all Alphans are in danger of having their future swapped for the past. All right, this is directed by Charles Crichton, written by Pip and Jane Baker, guest starring Lynn Frederick, Stuart Wilson, and Nicholas Campbell. We have, uh, I think, our first ever writer crossover in Old Space Show history with Pip and Jane Baker, who wrote The Mark of the Ronnie during Colin Baker's era, which uh, his first season of Doctor Who, which we covered on Old Space Show following the first season of Space 1999. They also wrote Terror of the Vervoids the following season, the finale Ultimate Foe, which was a poor them, the challenge they had, and Time and the Ronnie for Sylvester McCoy's debut. They are considered the people who possibly wrote Colin Baker's Doctor the best. And they also wrote episodes of Zed Cars. I believe one of them recently passed away like last year or so. But yeah, Pip it, was, and it was Pip. Jane passed away in uh, 2013. Mm, okay, yeah. So, All right, so it was Pip. And that's, they are, a lot of, that's a lot of who. It is. It's funny because on season 23, it was the trial of the Time Lord, they were the Bob Holmes, who was a legendary Doctor Who writer, passed away writing the finale of that season. And then Eric Sayward, the script editor, came in to write it. He got in a fight with John Nathan Turner after episode one on how to episode... It was a two-part finale. How to finish off the finale. So he stormed off. And for legal reasons, he had to hire Pip and Jane Baker on, but they could not know anything about... like what had happened or what was going to happen and like had to blindly write this finale Weird. to wrap things up. And he were, they were told in like an elevator. It's crazy, but they, wow. they had a, and then um, they were also notable because there was a British TV show back it, that decided to uh, have feedback on Dr. Who with John Nathan Turner, the showrunner at the time and Pip and Jane Baker with an audience of fans and fan club members uh, about their terror, of the vervoids episode, which, uh, was not it, it was it's one of the most uncomfortable things to watch because it's uh-huh. not positive feedback and 
it's just like you don't let fans and people like do this. Like I get like not liking something or whatnot, but that's a bit too much. One of the fans harshly criticizing that story that they wrote to Pip and Jane Baker's face, Chris Chibnall, the current showrunner of Doctor Who. Wow. So he was the president of one of the fan clubs back then. And yeah, crazy. So that's Pip and Jane Baker. So much cross-pollinization in the uh, in the British TV and film industry. It is, right? It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. But I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, they don't have that big of uh, on least credited stuff career as even though they, I mean, Touching Space 1999 and Doctor Who will give you a legacy and a lifetime of people checking you out. So that's right. why they're known. Frederick, she was in a movie called Schizo, Vampire Circus, Voyage of the Damned, plenty, plenty <laughs> oh, of TV stuff. Phase Four, which is a movie about the killer ants. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> I remember that one as a kid. You know, it's, uh, you're part of the creature yep. features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. She plays this so weird in this um, yeah. in this episode. Like she's kind of almost like a kid or whatever. Have, uh, have you talked about Stuart Wilson at all? I was just some... about to. Oh, okay. Um, I'm sorry. Started in USO or US, UFO. Uh, using that I Claudius miniseries that was a big deal on British TV at the time. Uh, he's on oh, this, yeah. the Sweeney. Well, it was big on America too because it was yeah. on PBS. Right, right. You know. The Sweeney, Scarecrow, Mrs. King. He was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. I believe he's the bad guy. He was in Lethal Weapon 3, uh, Age of Innocence. I uh, showed up in The Rock and Enemy of the State. A lot Absolutely. of stuff. Yeah. Just, also in the run of Prime Suspect that kind of made uh, Helen Mirren you know, more noticeable in the Americas. So. Mm, right. Very much a part of that. And a favorite of uh, the Nick Frost, Simon Pegg uh, collective. Yes. He was yes. in both Hot Fuzz and the Don't trailer. Yes, yes. Grindhouse. That's right. <laughs> Which is awesome. That is a good trailer. So, we all, lastly, we have Nicholas Campbell, who is uh, in The Omen, A Bridge Too Far, uh, James Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me. He was in uh, Cronenberg's The Dead Zone, Da Vinci's Inquest. He starred on that TV show, and he popped up for an episode of Orphan Black more recently. Wow. But even though Orphan Black isn't recent anymore, we are, gosh. No, relatively recent. I mean, if you're talking to the Sweeney, (laughs) Orphan Black is relatively recent. It's new. It's in this millennium. It's shot in color. (laughs) Yes, within the century. 2015. It was seven years ago. But everything's on COVID time, so it might as well have been 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right, yeah. It was ages ago. Um so uh, we begin this one uh, with young Shermeen Williams is helping Tony cultivate hops and barley in hydroponics for use in brewing his beer. During the course of their celebration, she has developed a crush on him, much to the chagrin of her co-worker and would-be suitor, Eddie Collins. Now, real quick. First of all, I've never met a Shermeen in my life. And that's nope. fine. It's space. I get it. Totally cool. All right. Future space, blah. Yeah. But doesn't she play this like almost childlike in a way? Yeah. It's a little too childlike. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's like, la la, my plan, like she's almost kind of out of it and stuff. It's a really weird way to take on a character who's supposed to be like a scientist and stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe she's just not getting anything off the guy who plays Tony and that's. Struggle. Give me something to work with here, for God's sake. Yeah, she's supposed to be appearing younger, but not this younger. So, 
Uh, it's just kind of there was like that weird stereotype in the sixties and seventies of like the like uh, the childish woman, you know, like mm-hmm. Holly Holly Go Lightly or um, trying to think of other uh, you know versions of stereotype, but that's kind of where this was headed for me anyway. Mm-hmm. And who would have a crush on Tony? Yeah, yeah, of all the people on Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, Tony. Like, Maya, this is your out. Go. Run. <laughs> so after bringing the latest brew to the command center, which uh, apparently sucks, to be sampled by his unwilling compatriots, Tony takes a swig of his beer to find that it did not live up to his expectations. Frustrated, he inadvertently hurts Shermaine's feelings. She runs from command center crying, much <laughs> to Tony's surprise. In her quarters, she stops crying when she senses something in her room with her. She looks and sees a man's <laughs> face staring at her from the corner of oh the my God. room. And it's, first of all, again, you know, it's the whole woman-child thing. She, like, breaks down because Tony's like, you know, oh, this didn't turn out, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you hurt my feelings. And then she cries and runs away. And then we go to, you know. She, she even looks, defends his shitty beer. She goes, Tony's beer is not a poison. Yeah. But, you know, he won't go to bat for her. That sucks. And then the man she sees in her room, okay, mm-hmm. it's either Mr. Clean of Outer Space or... Yul Brenner in The King and I. Yeah, I, I had like like a what I oh hold on let me I'll find my description of him somewhere down here. But yeah, I get you. Just see it like he was wearing a loincloth. I'm thinking I I kept thinking of that line from uh from uh, Mystery Men that Janine Garofalo. You know, maybe if we're going to go adventuring today, you might want to put on some pants because <laughs> <laughs> this guy's just walking around with a loincloth and a headdress. Oh, he's like, like, hey, I, what's up? <laughs> yeah, he looks like cosplay somebody being the mummy from the Brendan Fraser mummy. Like, ah, uh, yeah, like didn't the have Arno that. Vosloo, uh, uh, Arno Vosloo money mummy, yeah. but like, I don't have money. Or, or like a a superhero in a 1980s porn film. <laughs> Maybe like that. So Helena, who followed Sharim, uh, Sharima from command center to check on her fragile emotional state finds her disturbed by what she believes was a dream. <laughs> she gives her a tranquilizer and lets her return to duty. Like we just hand out tranks here, man. Like, okay. I know it's like, it's, uh, she goes right to it too. She's like, yeah, well, I'm here to cure every crush on Tony. Here's some tranquilizers. Bye. Right. <laughs> Get back to work. Sharima. Like, or Shermine, that's her name. Shermine. Like, good Shermine. luck getting a song written about you with that. Shermine. Shermina, Shermina. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, back at Command Center, a planet is detected. Koenig asks Helena to join them for a landing party, but she is in the middle of some tests and can't go. Dude, so, I got midterms. <laughs> yes. Dude, I shot my episodes yesterday. This is a you, John. Right. Uh, she tells yeah. John about Shermin, and when he says he wants her to join the team to go to the planet, Helena advises against it. Tony is elected to give the news to Shermin. She assumes he told them not to let her go, and she tells him she never wants to see him again, <laughs> and he leaves, and the face returns. Hey, come on, come on now. This oh. this truly is Space 1999. <laughs> well put, yeah. Oh, man, I just... Uh... There's just so many weird things going on. The whole woman-child thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just, like, her whole, you know, at first, like, Tony's speaking to me. Oh, my goodness, now I have self-esteem again. Oh, wait. He's telling me something bad. My whole life is ruined. Yes. 
<laughs> from one extreme to the other in like you know less than five minutes. So Tony leaves. Uh, the face returns, and he tells her his name is Vindris, and he comes from the planet Sunim, and that <laughs> she will see the planet soon. Sure, she, he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm Jim, sorry. Not to, sorry. not to, not to, not to, not to jump ahead here, Jim. But do you know what Sunim backward is? You just blew my mind, bro. <laughs> the brilliance of Pippa <laughs> Jane Baker. The you brilliance. just blew my mind. My I bit some brain all over my monitor right now. Holy crap. I yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. even notice that, man. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for enlightening You're me. welcome. You're welcome. It's my I'm on the eleventh level now. So so thank you. <laughs> it's minus for those of you listening. If you, if you watch the episode, <laughs> you'll get it. If you don't get it right now, you'll get it in a little while. I, uh, I watched the episode. I didn't get it. So thanks. <laughs> she, uh, it wasn't until seeing his name written out that I, I, I latched onto that. So when I watched the episode, no, she tells him that she is not going, but he tells her that if she does, as he says, she will. He has her bombard a seed with protons and plant it, then tells her to prepare to go to the planet. She leaves as Eddie Collins returns. The seed grows to maturity at incredible speed. Eddie notices the plant, and when he smells one of the flowers, falls unconscious. And the landing party prepares to embark. As the landing party, ah, as the landing party prepares to embark, they find Shermin, who tells Koenig that Eddie was suddenly taken ill. Uh huh. You know what's funny is like Eddie gets a last name, but Shermin, who's all over the episode, is just Shermin. <laughs> I love how it's random episodes of the show will give somebody of ill consequence, like full names. She's like Cher or, you know, Bono, right? Yeah. Only one yeah. name. Shermeen. Yeah. Shermeen. It could be like her first name, Sure, last name, Mean. Could do that, uh, but no, Shermeen. I like when they make up names they think sound like future names. Mm-hmm. Like Shermeen. Sunim. <laughs> Sunim. Vindris. Vindris. Yeah, Vindris. Uh, oh yeah, well, Sunim's the planet, but um, so they, that's what that's what we'll name it in the future, right? Uh, they fly into Sunim to check it out. They arrive to find a completely Earth-like planet, but with no animal life detectable on their sensors. Shermin wanders off, getting samples of the different plants. Vindris leads her to a temple, which has already been discovered by the rest of the team. But as they approach, they are charged by a large, horned creature. Which, uh, is it the Minotaur guy, like the fish guy with Minotaur it's, stuff on him, like it's repurposed? The head, it's the head of the alien from Space Warp. Yeah, they, like, this is like the and third spiky week in armor. a row. Yeah, they've used that same head like three times now. Like three weeks in a row. What? Three weeks in a row, yep. It's the same head, for, I wrote it down. It's the head from Space Warp in spiky armor. Yeah. Wow, repurposing. And we, and we just also had an episode that had just plant life and no animals, too, remember? Right, because they stepped on the grass or something, and they had to. Uh, oh man, I can't remember the name of the episode now, but yeah, same deal. Planet with no animal life, just plants. Yeah, I did like uh, the. I was like, oh, location shooting after the last few episodes of bottling it up and. Yeah, that was cool. Thing. I was like, okay, location shooting, and uh, Bill Fraser goes with them. Um, I didn't mention, but. Uh, Maya, Maya's jacket kind of rules. I like it. Yeah. I, I would like that a jacket like that. So someone sent me a link to where I could get a Space 1999 Maya on Sunim jacket. Um, that'd be cool. <laughs> and the, Limited edition. Yes. Uh, the, the temple with the fish thing. 
kind of creepy little Midsummer like vibes, Wicker Man type, you know, full core vibes from that temple. It I, kind I, of reminded dug. me of the, it reminded me of the pylons in Land of the Lost. Okay, like that kind of basic architecture on the outside, and all the weird stuff inside that looks bigger on the inside than the outside. Mm-hmm. On, on like a TARDIS or whatever. But. Yeah, yeah, I get you. So John fires on this thing and the laser beams deflected they run for cover in the woods as they retreat Koenig notices the creature stopped at the obelisk at the edge of the wood um, they look for Shermin who is told to enter the pe- temple past the creature Vendress assures her that it will not attack she enters the temple unscathed where Vendress tells her that he needs her help to cross over into our world and I love the inside of this temple the design yeah. This is cool. This is beyond it, Space 1999. This is too cool for Space 1999. I'm wondering if we hadn't seen that before. Do you remember? The, I'm try, I, I'm really bad with the episode titles, and I'm super sorry. But it was the episode where they were trying to uh, uh, provoke an angry response from uh, from Koenig and uh, and and the the other members of the Alphans. Oh, okay. uh, they were aliens, and they couldn't. They didn't know how to be angry until they sh- were shown how to be angry. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That um, is. I, I'm pretty sure this is the same set. Is it? Am I double complimenting the same thing? But it's like really darkly lit. The set. This set is like really, really darkly lit. And it's like triangle shape. That's um. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, I would I have think to. Think it might be. I'd have to go back and look again, but I'm pretty sure. Damn, and I was like all happy, like, well, look at this, cool. But yeah, we have distance between these, and you know, you and I watch other things in the in the meantime, like. So, oh man, so or if a listener wants to go, yeah, Jim is right. That helps. That helps our laziness factor, but yeah. So he needs her help to cross over to the other world, asks her to take a cylinder back to Alpha. Bill Fraser finds Shermin's footprints leading toward the temple. So Maya changes into a, a fucking fox? A fox. She to... outfoxes him. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, please stop. Oh, gosh. Uh, so... so, by the way, her, this thing it looks like a shake weight. Like the thing yeah. she's like trying to hide. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe like a cocktail shaker or something. It's just no. I get you. I get you. So she gets in there through the creature and finds Shermin. And after recording images of the wall, leads her out. And Maya hesitates when she sees the creature, but is told by Shermin that the creature will not harm them. Unable to contact Alpha, Koenig decides to return to base. So on the way back, he asks Shermin why she was able to get past the creature. She tells him that no no harm will come to hit her on Sunim. He asks how she knew the name of the planet. She becomes defensive and he backs off. Uh, on Alpha, they review Maya's tapes and come to the conclusion that the creature that they saw on the planet was made up of antimatter. Okay. Two things here. First of all, why does Shermin act like a like a twelve year old girl when he's talking to her? Yeah, what what's the guy say? I don't know. How did you know it's called Sunim? I don't know. You know, it's just like. <laughs> It's just like she plays it like very like child. Not, I don't want to say childlike, but very immaturely. Right. And then, and then they explain antimatter for like ten minutes. Oh yeah, I, I wrote, oh my god, I wrote in my notes. I'm like, this is a ten. I said they explain antimatter to Tony for ten minutes. For those of you listening who don't know what antimatter is, it no. Uh, Please, I, I wrote my god, notes. No, don't I wrote ah. Uh, the wonderful antimatter lecture for Tony. Oh man, it took forever. I'm like, yeah, we get it. Antimatter, huh? I would like to point out that the wall art depicts evolution from slime to man. There is no God. 
Okay, then. That's what it depicted on the wall. She, sorry for the people of Sunim. That's what the, that's what happened. So after that lecture, including PowerPoints, a handout, uh, some laser pointing, and more, it really didn't. But Vindris appears to Shermaine and asks her to get a generator that will fit the cylinder to bring to the planet. Tony walks in and sees Vindris. He's knocked out and made to forget what he has seen because <laughs> that's a power. What? The, that was so pointless. Yeah. Like I'm just, I, I mean, it was just so pointless. It's like uh, you know, Tony imme- immediately sees this guy and then he's like, oh, and then like he has the power of making him forget. Mm-hmm. What is he like, Superman at the end of the movie kissing Lois? I mean, what the hell is that? Yeah, I, he's like, all right, and now you forget. Is it only because of plot convenience that they had him like see him and then forget? I don't know. Apparently. Pip and Jane Baker. Shermaine gets a generator and, using a flower, hypnotizes Bill Fraser into taking her to suit him. Vendress has her hook up the generator to a matter converter, then has her step into one of two booths. Vendress locks her <laughs> in and trades places with her, sending her into the antimatter world where he enters the matter world. So, uh, yeah, I'm like, oh, Shereem, you fool. What did you think was going to happen? Okay. First of all, well, I wrote all this in caps. Are you ready? Here we go. Mm-hmm. He told her that for him to cross over, one of them would have to trade with him. And she is all surprised about it. Yes. Oh, you meant me? He literally said that to her before she got in the isolation booth. <laughs> he said, ah, someone from your world will have to cross over for me to come back to mine. And she's like... Okay. And then it happens. He's like, what? No. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so Koenig, Tony, and Maya, who had followed them to the planet, att- arrive at the temple. Vindris exit the temple after Koenig figures out that the creature cannot harm them. And it's, it's, it's antimatter. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, it does, it, when you fire a laser <laughs> at antimatter, it bounces off. It doesn't just go through it. That makes that science. Yeah, so they look science. Yes, they learn uh, that Vindris is no longer antimatter. Koenig asks where Shermin is. Vindris tells him that she is inside the temple and won't come out. He suggests they go in and get her. John and Tony follow him in, and Vindris seals the door to the temple. Well, first, Koenig is like, You two stay here. I'll go in. And he goes in. And then Tony looks (laughs) at Maya, You stay here. I'll go in. Right. was Maya going to look at to behind her and no one would be like, you stay here. You know, I'm just like, ah. Tony rem- remembers that Vindris needed people to maintain the balance for the transfer into the matter world. Tony shoots Vindris, but the beam bounces off because that's what happens with antimatter. If you, you shoot it, it bounces. That's uh, clearly an Einstein's. Uh, uh, it is. Totally science. Is. Hashtag Absolutely. science. Um, Ask Thomas Dolby. He'll tell you. Right. Science. Uh, Vindris demonstrates that he does have an effective weapon and orders them into the conversion booth. Koenig throws his comm link at Vindris, and, <laughs> and he and Tony hide. That was great. What we have here is a failure to communicate, right? While Vindris looks for them, Maya, who hears the commotion, she has gotten in the temple because she turned into a, a chimp, like a, <laughs> a monkey. monkey. So I need to get into this almost impenetrable weird alien structure. What am I going to go as? <laughs> Um, monkey, because I'm an alien and all I know is earth creatures. John tells Vindris that Shermin is coming back because he knew what Vindris was up to and set the generator to work at partial power. 
Maya transforms into Shermin and enters one of the booths. She calls Devendra's telling him that they need to try again or they will all be destroyed. I thought that was kind of clever. It's a way to you work Maya into helping the plot. I guess. I don't know. Him him setting the thing ahead of time to only be half power. I would really yeah. um Okay. Yeah. Uh, I really like the isolation booth, so they remind me of like on old quiz shows, right? Right, yes. Or turn up the air and trying to catch dollars. Yes. Yes. Vendress approaches the booth. Tony pushes him in, and John bars the door shut. Maya exits and turns the converter on. She can't recall the controls of the one she had seen before, but Shermin is able to guide her, and the conversion is reversed. John sets the reactor to overload. <laughs> Tony finds the button to open the door, and they head back to the Eagles. Before they can lift off, the generator explodes, and the planet is returned to antimatter. <sighs> So if you shot a laser at the planet like the Death Star, if you were trying to do that, it would bounce off the planet. Yeah, I just I watched this whole sequence and I was I'm just like I just shook my head inside. It's <laughs> like really okay, really? I guess. Uh, <laughs> back back at Alpha, Shermin returns Tony's hops as she needs the room to test a theory Eddie Collins has on plant growth. I like Co- Eddie better now. I have an Eddie now. Yeah. Tony is dumbfounded at her sudden change of heart, but is soon distracted with musings of brewing beer with antimatter grain or hops. That is like one of the few continuity points that go from episode to episode. It's so wild. It's him making beer. Yeah. That's like the continuity. Like, you know, we have characters come and go. We have characters from season one just totally disappear and never come back. Mm-hmm. We have characters we only see for one episode, obviously. But like. With full old, names. The, yes. And, but continuity wise, here's Tony's beer. It's back it's, again. It is so weird. Like, yeah, Antimatter Hobbs is like, they are trying to make this guy a comedian. It's not where he's like, Ugh. and if I did come up with a great beer, would I be able to see or taste it? Ha ha ha. Freeze frame. Every, I know. Every, uh, the end of every episode has like the most ineffective comedic stinger you can think of. Mm-hmm. You know, like every time it's just like, uh, I, I imagine I have, Fred Fryberger no wrote them all. <laughs> I imagine Fred Fryberger wrote all these scenes. That's it's a constant throughout this. Uh, Either that or he left them improv them. Yeah, true, true. Uh, I do, I do have an observation here. So these Koenig heavy episodes, the Landau ones, they you know they always have Maya in them. They pair them with Maya, but they seem to be more location shot or feature going to another planet, another right. base or something. And you know, like, and then the, the Helena ones are always like bottle episodes stuck on alpha with like nothing. Mm-hmm. And Koenig's off doing something. Yeah. He's off. To, it's interesting when it's like a Koenig heavy episode and, and Helena's are like, well, John's out flying with Maya and uh, we're stuck here in alpha. What's going on? I did want to mention before, uh, before I forget, uh, when when Maya's uh, making that thing uh, work to uh, change him back and blow the place up, there is a lot of very intense style turning and button pushing. Yeah, and that's the like it just it goes on and on for a while. Science so, stuff. Yes. Things. And, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> if you're into that, I just wanted to mention that to you. you know? Yeah. I. You know what? As dumb as this episode was, I was after the last two, it hit in the right spot because I was like, okay, we are not stuck on Alpha. There's location footage. There's uh, Maya. I like heavier Maya stuff. Um, that some of the designs are cool. It's not a great 
episode by any means, but I was entertained with this one enough. I was, be... I was until I found out this, what Sunim is backwards. Now I just hate this. No bog is, go- <laughs> no, no bog is goblin spelled backwards. I know. Sigum drow. I remember that one too. <laughs> oh, Dr. Acula. Yeah. Or uh, Alucard. Yes, Alucard. The classic. From Castlevania. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, that'll do it for another mood buggy adventure. In the meantime, Jim, whereabouts can people find you on the, what do we say? The, the BEW, B-E-W. Is that what we say? Well, okay. that's what the, the pseudonym would say. Okay. Every week I'm on Nothing's On podcast on the Taylor Network of podcast.com. Uh, Daryl Taylor and Donnie Salva and myself go through the week's worth of entertainment news and put our own goofy, uh, hilarious hijinks and uh, shenanigans upon them. Uh, you can also listen to me at the Walking Dead TV podcast uh, at uh, hhwlod.com. And we'll be getting back into full gear in about, uh, I think, three weeks as uh, two of the shows come back in February. So. If you're a zombie fan, come back and join us. We've been watching since the beginning, and we'll be sticking around until the end. Hashtag Antony Matter. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> at Brandon4KUHD, written work at YSOBlue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peter Show this week, but until then... Alpha out. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peter Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.